Thank you for joining us at the Pastor's Table at Tahlequah United Methodist Church. Let us know that you're here in the comment section, and if you've got questions or comments, feel free to question or comment as well. We would love for you to connect with us online at TahlequahUMC.org, where you can worship with us, connect with us, and serve with us. Now let us grow together at the Pastor's Table. Church Lead Pastor Matt Franks here. I want to thank you uh, for joining us for tonight's Pastor's Table. And uh, tonight, Dr. Bob, uh, in our installment at Looking at Christmas Hymns, Dr. Bob is going to talk about Angels We Have Heard on High. It's a beautiful hymn, and, and he does a really good job. I enjoyed listening to this conversation again. And if you want to hear our previous conversations, you can always find those uh, on our YouTube channel or our Facebook page uh, under the videos uh, in Facebook and then in YouTube channels. They're actually under the Pastor's Table. Um, you know, thank you for joining us tonight. Let us know that you're here in the comments section. And again, uh, here is Dr. Bob Daniel talking about angels we have heard on high. Welcome back again to the the third. Um, I won't call it lecture presentation talk. <laughs> this this week I would uh, like to make it more informal. Actually, not so much in a lecture form. Um, on, on the Advent carols that we're featuring during these four Sundays of, of Advent. Um, and this one, uh, the feature this week is Angels We Have Heard on High. Um, and uh, there will be a fourth one next week, and the final, final one is uh, on Silent Night, uh, which is an extremely popular one. Uh, I must say, I, I, I have enjoyed these sessions and will miss not doing them but I must admit I'm running out of Christmassy sweaters, so pardon me for using an OKC a la Thunder sweater for this one, but it is Christmassy in a point. Um, this week I'd, I'd like to, as some of you who know me well know that I was a teacher for um, more years than I wish to recall, although I enjoyed those years, 46 total actually, uh, 23 here at NSU. Um, that, that I, I was a teacher, and I'd like this week to not be such uh, a professorial lecturer, but rather uh, engage the, uh, the listeners into a question and, and uh, eventual answer to some of the, the interesting things I think about this particular hymn or carol. Um, first of all, and, and I will say that, that I won't, it won't be a test that you're given and it will be the next class period before you get your answers and you get your test grade. I will answer the questions immediately once we talk about them. But I would like to engage you in thinking a little bit about this carol. Uh, Angels we have heard on high. What is it about this carol that is different? Um, think if you will about, uh, let's think of two parts. Um, and as you mull over in your mind what I'm referring to here in this question, how it's different, think of the uh, think of the carol, if you will, as often in hymns, there is a verse, and then there's also a refrain or a chorus. And of course, the verses change from verse to verse, um, even though sometimes there's a continuum in thought. Um, and then the, the chorus and the refrain, of course, come back at the end of each verse, kind of interrupt that thought in a, in a, in a pleasant way. Um, this, if, if you will, it, it's what we refer to in answer to the question 
as a macaronic text uh, in, in, in which there is a combination of several languages uh, in, in one setting. Um, and macaronic is the best way of describing that, a term that's used quite often. Um, and that perhaps leads you to the answer immediately. Part of this is in English um, and part of this is in Latin. Um, so, uh, and of course, if, 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 you, if uh, we were in France in the year 1855, we would be singing this in French because it was originally, and in your hymn book, it's listed as a traditional French carol. Uh, and it was first published, in other words, in 1855, um, although it perhaps, uh, at least the tune, probably existed before that. Um, uh, and then the Latin we should talk about also, um, but this macaronic nature of this, this carol um, uh, is, is interesting, I think. Um, there is a continuum in thought, and I will go through each one of the four verses which I have in my source material, which are identical to the four verses we have in our hymn books today and that we sing each Christmas. Um, and, and of course, the, the, the macaronic part of it, uh, and I might mention one other term too, the, the, the use, if, if we were uh, in France, we would sing this in French, if we were in Germany, we would sing it in German. Uh, in England or America, obviously it's been translated to many different languages. We sing it in English, so we have the benefit of the English translation of the original French. Um, the term that I'm referring to here is the vernacular. Uh, vernacular is, is a term that we use in reference to the, na the natural or the native tongue. Uh, of speaking, for example, in France, it would be French. In America, it would be English. So there is a vernacular um, uh, for this anthem, but then there's also uh, a Latin. And those two, uh, at least the vernacular and Latin, were often combined in, in texts. Um, and, and Latin, you can probably guess immediately what I'm referring to here when I ask a question, what is it? Why is it Latin? Uh, and does that tell you anything about the potential origin of the chorus or the refrain? Why Latin? Because that's the language of the early church and that's the language, that's the language of, of liturgy uh, that have descended down to us um, uh, over many, many years, and, and some hymns, many hymns, and also carols, specifically this one, incorporate the Latin. Uh, you know, we think of uh, Gloria in excelsis Deo as Latin, but, you know, we hear that, that phrase so often um, that we, we automatically know what it means. You know, glory to God in the highest. Um, so it's almost as if it, it, we miss sight of the fact in this particular carol that it is Latin uh, because we know exactly what that, that term, um, that uh, phrase uh, translates as and, and means. Um, first of all, I'd like to take each part separately. By the way, the carol was anonymous. Um, it, there in our hymn book, I did check our hymn book, and it simply lists traditional French carol. Uh, and we don't know specifically who 
either the lyricist was, at least of the English, or the French in the, in the original. Uh, uh, we don't know who wrote that, that text or who wrote the hymn tune on which it is based. Um, probably of French origin, but we're not sure. So there's no name, so it would be anonymous uh, in, in origin. Uh, I'd li like to just read the, although you're familiar with it, I'm sure, maybe not some of the latter verses, and, and give a, a, a Bob Daniel or a layman's interpretation of what that means to me uh, as, as we look at these four verses. Uh, and I do, I do uh, emphasize, to me, there's a continuum in the four verses. So even though each verse is interrupted with the, this chorus or refrain in Latin, if you read through the four verses without the interruption, uh, you, you see uh, a train of thought that continues through all four of the verses. First verse, angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. To me, that tells us, and perhaps you, uh, so perhaps I'm not off base uh, uh, very far, uh, that the angels are descending to heaven. And um, they are, in addition to descending um, to earth, they are, from the heavens, they are singing joyously. Um, which we uh, definitely associate with this hymn as being a joyous statement. Reading on to the second verse, shepherds, why this jubilee with a question mark? Why your joyous strains prolong? Question mark. Um, say what may the tidings be of your song? Again, a question. Uh, which inspire your heavenly song. So as the angels come down to the shepherds, they ask the shepherds, again, and this is my interpretation of what is it? Uh, why do you sing so joyously as, as we do, uh, as you tend your flocks? And then to me, the third verse is, is kind of the shepherd's response to the angels uh, questions as they descend to them. Third verse, come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. So they announce, uh, the, the shepherds to me announced to the angels, of course the angels would have been, uh, would have had foresight to know that, uh, that they, they are coming down um, and, and uh, are going to the, the manger in Bethlehem to see the Christ child. It's also to me interesting that um, uh, one of the things I've referred to in a lot of these lectures is, is or talks is that um, many of the writers of, of the text, the lyricists of these texts, um, uh, were radicals, and they they often chose not to pursue um, the enlightenment of of um, holier than thou people, or the rich, or the the uh, well placed, established people in the community, but rather to the common man, to the least of these. 
Uh, and, and the shepherds, if you will, represent that, the, the common man, angels coming down to the common man, uh, not to kings, not to rulers, not to religious um, higher-ups, but rather to the simple common man to announce the birth of the Christ child. Um, and then the fourth verse, uh, after they, they um, arrive at the nativity scene, um, reads, as we all know, um, see, or, or see within a manger laid Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, Mary Joseph, lend your aid while with us sing our Savior's birth. So to me, it's almost as if the shepherds with the angels are asking Mary and Joseph to join in praise for the Christ child that had born, been born to them um, in a joyous uh, refrain. And of course, to us, the joyous refrain um, to me, uh, at least, is the, the Gloria in Excelsis Deo, um, which, which we'll talk about in just a second, and it's, uh, its origin itself. So all entities, angels, shepherds, uh, the common man, and even the, the, the mother and the father of the Christ child uh, are singing joyously about the, the birth uh, of the King of Kings. And, and praising his arrival on earth as the Savior and the Messiah. So those four verses, to me, um, if you read them continuously, uh, have a continuum of thought, um, which uh, makes it very, very relevant to us. Okay, the, the, the other half of this, uh, this hymn, or carol, is, is the second part, the refrain or, or the chorus that we talk about um, and I guess my first question there would be, um, what does that remind you of and why? Um, we've already said that it's in Latin, even though we know readily what the Latin phrase interprets or means or is translated as. Um, what is it uh, about that that tells us something uh, about the origin of that? And, and is, is, are we misled by thinking that it, the origin is in 19th century France, like the, the, the publication of that carol in 1855? Should we assume that, that that carol and that refrain was attributed or could be attributed to a French priest? Um, answer to that is probably no. Um, when did this originate? Uh, probably, maybe as many as a thousand years, this text, uh, and perhaps even this melody, before the actual writing of the, of the verse that we've just uh, studied um, briefly. Um, and, and the answer to that is the early church. The answer to that is probably uh, it is chant. And we referred last week when we were studying the, the Carol of Come Emmanuel to chant. Uh, and I, I mentioned uh, <laughs> humorously that one of the things about chant is that it usually does not incorporate uh, a great vocal or a vocal technique of any sort. 
um, because these chants, uh, and there's debate, lots of debate about when these chants originated. The first name that we really associate with chants was Pope Gregory, uh, who was a pope in the sixth century AD. Uh, and that's the reason why we call these early chants Gregorian chant in his honor, um, because he had a system by which he pulled the chants that had existed in the church up to this point uh, into uh, a unified body or whole. Um, realize why he had to do that, because uh, people during this time uh, up till the 6th century and even beyond, uh, couldn't read. Most common folk couldn't read. Uh, certainly, they didn't have the skill to be able to read music. So if someone had written down in a musical notation, uh, which didn't exist by the time of Pope Gregory, uh, it would have been impossible to have read, been read, uh, because... Uh, that notation had not been devised, but he did collect, Gregory collected them in a way um, by the various scales that were used in the, in the different chants into a, uh, into a unified body so that people could identify them uh, by alleluia, number, whatever, uh, and, uh, and they were based on different, different scales and different modes. So, without getting into much detail there. The reason for that was, was all these chants had been carried down for hundreds of years, possibly by an oral tradition, by, by simply uh, referring to a chant that had a certain text and then perhaps putting a new number with it and then perhaps, or a shape with it, it came to mind what chant that we're referring to. Now, what is it about chant that, that in addition to the fact that this is Latin, uh, that, that identifies it with the early church and perhaps with chant, uh, what is it else, what else about it is, is it that's different? Um, and these are things that are pretty typical of, of, of chant. Um, simple melody, um, nothing elaborate. Uh, we mentioned no vibrato. Um, but, but simple melody, usually stepwise movement, not a whole lot of skips and jumps because the people couldn't, uh, often didn't have the vocal skill to be able to do that. Um, so there were very few skips and leaps. Um, simple, similar note values. They didn't have a whole lot of varying note values like we have today, quarters, eighths, sixteenths, et cetera. Um, there was basically a, a similarness in, in similarity in the note values and perhaps ending at the end of a phrase on a longer note and then continuing with another. Um, so, so chant had a very simple nature. We called it, if you remember last week, plain song or plain chant. Um, another thing is that there's a lot of repetition in chant, um, simply because repetition made it easy to remember. Um, uh, and, and the Gloria, Gloria in excelsis Deo, and then Gloria, you sing that again. So lots of repetition, which made it uh, easier uh, to remember. Uh, another thing that really sticks out 
Uh, and this is maybe a musical note that, that musicians who have studied some of these earlier chants are more aware of, um, is that uh, this particular refrain has what we call a melismatic setting. Um, chants were often set uh, in at least two different ways. Uh, sometimes they were set what's called syllabic which meant that for every syllable of a text, there was a different pitch or a different note, or perhaps a repetition of the same note, but with a syllable with a, uh, like a consonant in between. Um, and in addition to syllabic, which you could say that the, the, court, the uh, verse of this, angels we have heard on high is an example of a syllabic setting, although that's not chant. But you see, there's a different pitch for each syllable of the text. The other way is melismatic. And melismatic meant that there were, uh, in many cases, many notes for one syllable of a text. Uh, and we call those many notes uh, melismas. Gloria. All of that is a melisma. Uh, and the early chant writers in the early church uh, had reasons for that. If they came upon a word that had a joyous uh, meaning or feeling, they would often set it in a syllabic, not, pardon me, in a melismatic way to draw emphasis to it. It took longer to sing it, but it also expressed to them uh, joy. Uh, and uh, certainly Gloria does that. Another, other words that sometimes are set melismatically will be a word like Alleluia, uh, obviously, uh, or even the word Amen, uh, meaning so be it. So often chant, it, it just sticks right out to a musician that it is a chant origin if it has a melismatic setting on words that are, are, are happy and joyous and glorious. And that's certainly the case here. Um, and I might mention, uh, so that's why we, we pretty, as musicians especially, single in on this as definitely have, uh, having a chant origin. Uh, I might mention um, one other uh, that I learned, one other in, uh, fact that I learned in, in preparing for today's study, um, is that, uh, and this relates to the text, Glory in Excelsis, which is set syllabically. There was a pope um, before Gregory, before Pope Gregory, who was a pope in the second century AD. Uh, and I found this very, very interesting. And I refer to my notes because I can't remember his name. Pro pope Telesphorus in the second century AD. And we attribute um, although I'm, I'm touching maybe on, on carefully, maybe erroneously theological ground here, but four of the things that I read that he supposedly um, in some in, is often credited with. Um, one is that he, he um, created the Midnight Mass, the Midnight Christmas Mass. And, and this was the second century AD. One of the, one of the one of my joys at Christmas time uh, is I stay up late after the Christmas Eve service here. I stay up late and I watch 
the Midnight Mass from the Vatican with the Pope. Um, and and uh, that's a ritual with me. Uh, every, even though I'd stay up after my family maybe has gone to bed, uh, because I've done that year after year. Uh, and I, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's not to, to listen to the Vatican choir. Um, because <laughs> you'd think that the Vatican would have the best choir in the world. Um, but sometimes if you listen, it really um, uh, challenges the ear um, to listen closely. Uh, it's, it's not the greatest of choirs, but certainly the service to me is a very spiritual experience. Um, uh, listening to the to midnight mass, so supposedly the pope, this pope, uh, I refer to my notes again, tell us for us, was responsible for for a, a midnight mass. And of course, we observe here, although it's a little earlier than midnight at eleven, not twelve, uh, a, a mass. But you all know that the mass service, uh, and 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 many many churches, I think, observe that. Um, another thing that he created, supposedly, again, um, uh, I, I, I touch here on maybe uh, uh, not as careful a ground as I should, a celebration of, of Easter uh, was on a Sunday, okay? Um, uh, that was another uh, creation that, that, that he supposedly started. Also, uh, he, in some sources I read, was credited with with celebrating, with celebrating, just like we have four Sundays of Advent, and we're going through the four Advent carols that we were referring to here, uh, he was responsible for um, uh, establishing the seven uh, weeks of Lent, um, and in the early church. And again, this this pope uh, in the second century A.D. Uh, and the last, though, is what relates to this particular. Carol that we're studying today, um, he insisted that the, the that at the end of a mass ceremony, in his time, and this tradition, a lot of these traditions continued for at least two centuries, from what I've read, uh, after this pope had died. But he insisted that at the end of mass ceremonies, uh, after scriptures were read and music sung, that there would be a singing of the text, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. So, um, uh, and we know today that that's uh, a very significant uh, uh, text that we certainly see and enjoy in this carol. This is one of, one of my most, most favorite carols uh, uh, because it, it, it's sometimes, in some ways, the melismatic section is not easy to sing. <laughs> Um, but it certainly is an expression as it's intended to be of joy. And of course, this is the most uh, joyous season of the year, at least one of the most joyous seasons of the year for, for many of us. Um, so that is the, the, the um, carol, Angels We Have Heard On High. Um, two parts, one early, perhaps as early as chance, uh, 5th and 6th century AD, and then another part, that is the verse, uh, originating in France in 1855. So that is the carol that we all will enjoy this Sunday, Angels We Have Heard On High. Thank you for listening.
Dr. Bob did a really good job with that. Really enjoyed some of the insights and, and thoughts that he shared with us today. Uh, it even made me think a little bit, uh, retweaking some things in my sermon for Sunday. And with that in mind, I want to invite you to church on Sunday morning at um, 10 a.m., either in person um, or online through our Facebook and YouTube channels. Uh, we also offer Sunday school uh, beginning at 9 a.m. that has uh, an option, also an adult option for a Zoom a hybrid class, if that's something you're looking for or looking into. And then don't forget that Shanna's uh, Bible study will also continue to happen. And we have a lot of events going on, and you can find all of that on our website at TahlequahUMC.org. And then encourage you that this Sunday is known as our Christmas sweater Sunday and invite you to wear a Christmas sweater to church, uh, whether you're in person or at home. If you're, in, if you're at home watching this or wherever you may be, uh, take a picture of yourself and share it with us uh, on our page too, uh, just so we can you know, craft that community of building together, even uh, in person and virtual. And we thank you for uh, joining us tonight and uh, may God be with you in every step and every breath you take. And God loves you and so do I. Have a good night.